What's up? This is Ryan. We are going to talk with Martin Van Wurst today. Martin has a really cool story that he's told us about, first of all, how he created the initial capital for a $3 million MVP on top of it. What was the one thing that saved him from shutting the doors that led to 10% month over month growth and much, much more. So you're not going to want to miss this. This is really cool. Uh, Bootstrappers episode on how to make it work when he was getting denied funding and you're not going to want to miss it. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everyone, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Martin Lerwast. I hope I didn't butcher that, Martin. Was that, is that okay on a scale of 1 to 10? That was uh, close to 10, uh, Ryan. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't want to butcher it. So he's the founder and chief executive at Limecraft, which is, you know, which basically takes plan technology, automation, and AI um, for companies and media professionals that manage their digital workflow. They have companies like Associated Press, um, and it has really, really interesting background. He's a founder of three SaaS companies with two exits uh, and is passionate about what he's doing now. So Martin, really happy to, to have you on the show and excited to learn more because, you know, whenever you combine the word AI with anything, it's, it's pretty attractive. So excited to hear about it, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Yeah, so let's, let's do a real quick revenue rundown before we get into your background and a little bit more about, you know, your story. So real quick, where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Uh, we're currently close to 4 million in uh, ARR and the more interesting bit, uh, if I can, is that we're uh, currently growing, it's a bit season dependent, between 5 and 10% month over month. So we've been, we, we founded the company in 2010. We've been uh, floating and hovering for a long, long time. And then uh, just uh, three years ago, we had this um, uh, COVID thing, which put the turbocharger on our business. Um, and uh, we couldn't, uh, we kept, could hardly keep up with uh, the demand for, uh, you know, online collaboration and um, easier management of video files uh, due to that uh, event. Oh, yeah, I can imagine, man. And video is blowing up as well across all different mediums. So. That's awesome growth, oh, month, growth uh, monthly, especially after that 4 million mark. Our, <clears throat> real quick, what's your primary go-to-market strategy for growing revenue? Um, it used to be uh, trade shows uh, prior to three years ago. Um, professional media is very uh, uh, in crowd uh, and they know each other and it's a, a trust-based business. Um, and then, um, uh, as one of the uh, other interviewees a uh, couple of weeks ago, uh, we tried to embark on uh, content marketing and we spent an awful lot of money on PR agencies that just uh, zero results. Um, and then we started doing it in-house, trying to reverse engineer uh, what happens in a Google search engine and what you need to do to put your uh, content on top. And it's actually not so difficult uh, if you ship a couple of uh, valuable reference cases and good cornerstone pieces on your website, you take care of what uh, your audience wants to uh, understand, good data points. 
and then some backlinks and all of a sudden it starts floating and and you start uh, uh, increasing your your traffic and that's the that's how it works today uh, it's an uh, end, end story uh, there is outbound uh, marketing there is lots of inbound traffic uh, on the website and then interestingly um, uh, word of mouth uh, in the media I'm not sure how it works in US at least in Europe continental Europe um, it's 80% freelance based and these guys hop from one producer to another and they drag along their toolbox once you're in uh, you, it's it's very hard to get out again uh, and it's uh, hard to judge the, the percentages but uh, I'm convinced that uh, it's a mix of uh, outbound you absolutely need to care for uh, inbound traffic, content marketing. And if it's a good product, it will start selling itself by, uh, uh, by uh, organic recommendations. That's fantastic, ma'am. Um, and w- so I know you, were you saying you weren't sure of the percentage? Do you know how much are from organic recommendations, like of your percentage of traffic? Any idea? Uh, when we ask for it, uh, it's uh, currently between uh, between uh, twenty and thirty percent. Uh, I would say, That's fantastic. without any referral program. Uh, but our sales reps are now uh, instructed to explicitly uh, fish for the, the the source of their interest. Um, and sometimes it's just uh, Google, but the fraction of uh, Google is uh, decreasing. Uh, in favor of, hey, someone told me about Landcraft and, and we checked it out and uh, we want to understand more and then that's how it works. Excellent, ma'am. Well, then, and then are you, so can you give like a couple sentence summary of like what your solution does just so everyone has some context? Yeah, sure. So as a starting point, uh, we're in the media business, professional media, uh, and that's uh, narrowing it down to uh, video production. Uh, that can be uh, producers working on entertainment and reality shows. Uh, it can be sports. It can be news. It can be podcasters, for the matter. But uh, we're dealing with uh, video. Um, usually, large volumes of video and um, the, the biggest documentary producers working for Discovery and Alien Channel are um, uh, operate on a thirty or forty million uh, business. If they're independent, um, they're um, processing 1,000 hours of raw footage. Uh, Raw footage means it hasn't been archived by a professional archivist. Uh, So these documentary makers and these journalists, they have a huge problem. Uh, The amount of uh, available video is doubling year over year. It's just exploding. And they can't keep up with manually listening to the, to the audio and uh, writing down in a Word document what's, what's happening. Um, that's what we uh, automate. Uh, we help them uh, using raw material and reusing existing content. Um, and we do it for the, the biggest uh, archive producers, but also for fast-paced um, operations like the Associated Press. Obviously, their USB is uh, speed, go to market, get that news as fast as possible uh, at the other side of the of the wire. And we offer them the tools to make that uh, faster. So uh, to be very transparent, we are not in the business of making people redundant. Um, we're not shipping automation to get to automate the editing process. Uh, we empower them. We give them tools to make uh, 
to make sure they can do a better job. Uh, we automate repetitive work and we emancipate thousands of hours of, of manual work, giving back that time for uh, uh, creative story editing. And that works for fiction, that works for documentary makers, that works for news. Uh, anyone dealing with a professional video at some point will be faced with uh, scalability issues, and that's where we come in. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense, and I could totally see that, especially for the the entities that you mentioned right there, among many others as well. So, I guess like one other question: um, Are you how big is your team? Or two questions, I should say. How big is your team? Uh, our team to date is uh, nineteen people and three outstanding vacancies. The <laughs> biggest bottleneck in continental Europe is hiring talent. Um, rather than finding capital, um, but uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, we've managed to um, close to four million uh, ARR, uh, bootstrapped with uh, a team uh, of uh, let's say ten uh, engineers, and the rest is um, largely marketing and sales and some administration. Um, that's quite a good job. Um, and uh, the beauty of the engine we built is that. You know, people are natural born collectors of stuff. People don't like to uh, trash uh, their their assets they, they've worked on. We charge per hour of video basis and our customers tend to grow their repository uh, on an average uh, close to 25% per year. As wow. we're charging them on a volume basis, our net revenue retention is 25% without having to do any additional sales so uh, <laughs> I think I think we're in a brilliant spot uh, in tech landscape uh, out there. Yeah, I, well, I think that makes a lot of sense, man. It's, it's like that Amazon Web Services model or the cloud model, right? Like I have a friend that works there and he was like, basically, he's like, yeah, I we have a, I mean, he's like, it's the easiest job, I've, easiest sales job I've ever had. Like it just automatically grows and grows and grows. You know, you see it with Apple. I see it showing up with my memory and my pictures, right? On my iPhone. So it's a smart business model that you have it on consumption because you know people like to hoard things, especially assets, right? Imagine video assets as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that effect uh, even plays more in a B two B environment uh, where they've uh, invested huge amounts of money in the production of that content. Uh, so they yeah. have a, a material interest in keeping that alive and making sure it's reusable, uh, and that's where companies like uh, Limecraft come into play. Okay. And while we're on the pricing model, so do you basically charge then for, because you got me curious now, I wasn't even thinking about this. So I love doing this, man. This is why this is great, Martin, because I get, I get ideas as I'm going through and people are sharing their insights. So you got 25% growth on average, right, with clients. So basically, do you give them a batch of hours to start with of video? I think that's what I saw from when I looked at your website. And then as they continue to add, that's where their pricing goes up. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. And uh, just taking a step back, Ryan, uh, imagine we're coming, just three years ago, we're coming from a, a CapEx situation whereby traditional software was sold for uh, uh, X millions to tier one customers. Um, and then they were locked in because they had to deprecate that investment over several years. That was the situation in... 
uh, in in media. And then came SaaS models were only were, were becoming acceptable in the media as well. And the majority, if not uh, all of them, uh, are charging on a per user basis. Now there's nothing more stupid in the media than uh, charging uh, 30 or 50 dollar per month per seat. Um, you're screwing up your own business model. You want to have as much users onboarded as possible in the shortest possible time frame, and they will start consuming. They will start uploading more and more video. And a company like Landcraft, we just have to make sure the, the wheels are spinning. Don't make any operational mistakes. Make sure it's up, that they like it, that we offer premium usability, uh, flawless uh, operations, and then the system just grows and grows. Um, and then we go to a trade show, and then the boss of the company will will uh, come to us and say, uh, uh, "Me a bit afraid of the confrontation because we're charging a lot of money per month to the to the customer." And he just says, "You guys are doing an amazing job. Just keep up the good work. Um, <laughs> don't don't uh, no downtime, please. Uh, make sure it's uh, you keep on uh, on running." Awesome, man. Makes sense. I guess like, so my question for you then is like, do you, like, what do you think, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. So what do you think is the best recipe for a successful consumption-based pricing model for SaaS? Um, That's a great question. Um, And I'm going to return it with an an open answer, uh, if I may. Um, uh, disclaimer or full transparency we've been struggling for five or six years with the pricing model Uh, now we're successful but there is a lot of history and a lot of trial and error before we came to that point Um, um, it was actually disclosed by some of our best customers the good early adopters uh, are very vocal on what they want and what they like about pricing models uh, if you're uh, developing a SaaS business, um, you need to filter out the good early adopters from the lazy laggards that will come uh, afterwards. And it's the good early adopters you need to, they will challenge you. They will help you figuring out uh, which pricing works uh, and which are the unit prices and the components uh, you can uh, you can charge for. Uh, so when we started uh, listening to them saying, uh, you know, Martin, we've got a, a, a big problem with uh, company XYZ because uh, if we scale it up to 2,000 seats, this is going to be uh, 50,000 or 100,000 per month, and that's just prohibitive. Um, now, in the media business, if you're an executive producer and you're going to make a, a, a drama series with 80 shooting days, you know uh, exact. you know, perfectly in advance that you're going to produce two hours of raw material per day, uh, that you're going to manage throughout your show 160 hours of material um, for cutting, and that you will make 10 episodes out of it of 50 minutes. An executive producer, which is the CEO of the production, uh, and that's deciding on the money, they know exactly what volume they're going to produce. And if we say, you know what, we're going to charge you $2.5 per hour, uh, which makes it um, in this particular show, uh, it will uh, boil down to $500 per, per show as long as it uh, takes one year. 
<clears throat> that's perfectly acceptable and in line with their business model. And I think that's the key. Uh, so I'm repeating, um, as a SaaS provider, our uh, selling points have to be perfectly synchronized and in line with our customer's interest. Uh, then you start creating value rather than to be a cost on, on the budget. Um, now, that's just a, a single production. Uh, if you take into account that uh, mid-sized producers uh, are constantly on a load of uh, five to ten uh, productions, and that's the mid-sized market, um, you see that uh, for even mid-sized customers, uh, you're making a few thousands per, uh, per customer. Now, if we start talking tier one customers uh, that are on huge libraries of content, then uh, it's almost uh, limitless. Okay, so I love that. So I think just to summarize what you said, and this is this is me uh, just kind of simplifying things a little bit. So it sounds like you know that 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 amount of content per hour was a key KPI that they would look at in terms of workload and probably success right so then basically you just aligned yeah. your pricing model with their success model uh you've got it that's it exactly all Spot right on. good just making sure i'm hitting it the right way that's what i thought it was man because like I, i'm just going through my mind on different things for myself as well um so anyways that's that's really fascinating and i think that was a great description of it Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. All right, let's shift gears a little bit here, because uh, I have this question, and you know, how, I, I admire the fact, like we talked in the pre-show, that you're bootstrapped, right? But my question for you is, how did you come up with the initial investment capital to start your company and go from zero to one? Uh, great book, by the way, from zero to one. Um, well, there is no investment uh, money in there. It's uh, it's. Uh, to a very large extent, uh, sweat uh, equity. Um, so the first uh, couple of years in the company were uh, were uh, uh, challenging. It was a bumpy road um, uh, because uh, it's only uh, after a couple of years that we discovered that uh, we were five years too early uh, in uh, offering a SaaS product uh, in a market that was not yet evangelized to accept uh, software as a service. Uh, let me give you some background here. A shooting day has a monetary value of, depending on the type of production, between 100,000 and 200,000 K. Wow. Outsourcing the management of these assets uh, to a tech company with uh, just a few people on the payroll and um, almost no cash on the balance, it's a huge risk and it took a pandemic to make people realize that uh, SaaS is actually 
a more scalable and a more secure approach compared to hosting all that stuff on hard disks and seeing hard disks going out of life and, and uh, power supply interrupts, uh, etc. Um, and the one thing I learned and which I would strongly recommend to fellow founders is, uh, uh, you know, you can spend as much time as you want drinking cocktails and doing press releases. It's all assets. It's bullshit. It's a waste of time. Uh, the one thing you need is um, uh, trustable uh, references. In 2015, uh, when we were very close to uh, pulling the plug, uh, all of a sudden we were approached by France Television and BBC, two of the biggest European uh, broadcasting uh, stations, um, with a very complex workflow, a very challenging uh, operating environment, which they couldn't uh, solve anymore with uh, conventional uh, software solutions. So they came to Landcraft said, here's the problem, Landcraft, will you accept this uh, as a challenge? Uh, we said, obviously, uh, we will, uh, uh, based on the condition that we can use you in, in our marketing afterwards. So we will make a customer case out of it. Ryan, magic happened. All of a sudden, uh, doors are opening. Um, ah, you were the guys that uh, that made that show uh, work. And these two customer references made the difference between, as you suggested, zero and one. Uh, and once you've got those um, and you do it carefully, step by step, uh, don't run too fast, uh, don't make any operational mistakes, outperform the competition in terms of usability and, and proximity. Um, uh, our service desk is reachable 24-7 and you get knowledgeable people on the phone, uh, so <laughs> no support pages. Um, that's the small things that make a difference, but... Um, uh, really, the difference between zero and one is a couple of good reference cases. Yeah, that's good. I mean, so it so it sounds like you were struggling big time for a couple of years then, right? And then that kind of came about. Five, Five yeah. years. Wow, man. So, well, um, um, let's say we took the unconventional approach. Um, we uh, uh, Many people told us... Um, don't fall into the trap of uh, doing professional services uh, for a living. Uh, don't do uh, too much uh, bespoke development. But actually, um, uh, I know this is uh, what VCs not necessarily like because then you become less dependent on their uh, <laughs> on their capacity to help whenever it's necessary. If you understand what I mean, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, doing. Uh, Specific developments uh, for some of the greatest uh, uh, blue chip companies all over Europe that became loyal customers afterwards. Uh, that's where we learned their language and where we got deep knowledge about the, the issues they're facing day to day. Um, and that's what gave us a competitive advantage. Uh, by the time we had to scale, uh, we knew exactly uh, what was uh, in front of us and, and uh, how we had to solve those uh, those issues. Okay. So, and then it took you, so that was in 2015. So then you grew from zero and, to one. And, and what, if I may, uh, Ryan, um, to your other question, uh, where does the, 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 the capital come from? Um, I started by saying no external capital on the balance, almost none. Uh, but uh, we've 
we've put 15 million in R&D in the company. 15 million, which is uh, uh, which has come from uh, customers, early adopters, and the thing which uh, which is great in setting up uh, a high tech company in Europe. Um, we have access to uh, uh, European funding R&D grants. Uh, it's a tough competition, uh, but it's um, it's uh, it's great money. It's um, non-diluting, uh, no payback. Um, it's uh, it's a tough competition to get in there, but um, it's a nice way to uh, organize and to structure your research and development. Okay, yeah, that, I think that that's um, that makes a lot of sense. That because I've heard that from other European founders too about leveraging a grant. How much was your? How much did your MVP cost? Uh, by the time we uh, we sealed the deal with uh, France Television, I think at that time we spent uh, close to three million, uh, three million, three million and a half already. Um, the point is, uh, it's to do with the nature of the, the challenge we took. Um, and I have to give you a bit of background here, uh, uh, Ryan. Um, I used to run the research and development department of one of uh, one of the broadcasters uh, here in Europe uh, and one of our current customers. And I was personally responsible for um, pioneering digitization of their newsroom. Now, uh, I'm almost ashamed to say that's uh, mid-2000s. Um, and officially, we spent... Um, Four zero million, forty million uh, in uh, capex, um, and uh, some of the other companies out there like BBC spent uh, double and and probably even more. And the, the very reason, the root cause was that at that time we were trying to do fancy things with uh, software which was not designed to operate a file-based operating environment. These pieces of software were developed to manage static archives and not dynamic uh, operating environments. Uh, so I noticed that uh, all of these uh, tier one producers out there were uh, doing the same, uh, spending a lot of money on integrators like uh, IBM and the likes and buying technology and, and trying to make it work, but it, it just didn't make sense. Um, uh, but uh, there was one huge hurdle to adoption. We're in the creative business, and creative people, they don't give a shit about technology. They just want it to work. Um, they don't want, uh, uh, you know, last month we onboarded a, a beautiful documentary maker in London. Um, they were making a documentary on the murder of Olaf Palmer uh, 20 years ago, so uh, it was a British producer uh, shopping for uh, 200 hours of archive material uh, in Sweden. Um, they took out the audio, which they uh, forwarded to, uh, I don't know, Otter AI or Sonix. Um, then they got back a Word document, which they copied and pasted in Google Translate per 5,000 words, because Google Translate will uh, limit you in uh, capacity. Then they copied and pasted it again in another Word document, and it's just, uh, it's crazy. Uh, um, we want people to have a single workspace, no copy-paste anymore, uh, no software development, uh, and that it just works. So um, as, a, as a starting point, um, Linecraft was uh, going for software development, which rolls up 
10 to 15 point solutions in a single coherent user interface. The challenge was huge and very unconventional, uh, hence the, the, the pretty high cost of the MVP. Um, but um, in return, um, we have a, a, an application, once it's accepted, it's very, very sticky. Uh, we're in the core of the production operations. Um, it's interlinked with uh, many other systems. It's just easy to use. Um, and our churn is um, close to 1%, 1.1% to be precise, dollar churn. Now, that's an amazing result. Yeah, I'd say so. It's amazing. Yeah, man. So I want to just shift gears because we're, we're getting close on time. I think... Those are great points that, that you brought out with the complexity. However, like, how are you using AI in video right now? Um, good question, good question. Uh, what can I say without being uh, too offensive towards uh, AI companies? Um, uh, with um, Led Zeppelin, uh, lots of people talking and, and few of them know. <laughs> There is so much bullshit out there. Uh, it's amazing. Um, uh, AI companies are, are selling uh, magic. And when you look at the result, the, the noise on the signal is not just a percentage, but the noise is 10 times bigger in volume than the signal. It's amazing. Uh, it's not the case, Ryan, for speech-to-text transcription. That's, I would say, mature technology. We're currently at word error rates of 1% to 2%, and that for a journalist is very, very acceptable and time-saving. But if you throw a piece of video into Google Vision or Amazon Recognition, uh, just 90% of the text it recognizes is, is plain bullshit. It's nothing to do with the content of the video. So um, it's... Our role, it's our moral obligation uh, as a tech company selling to media professionals um, to first of all show experience and to warn them for the, 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 the challenges they will uh, facing. And secondly, um, we take core technologies and we make sure they're properly trained. Uh, and whenever there is a company uh, coming across saying we will recognize um, uh, all of the 8 billion people on the whole world uh, that's, that's not just just not how it works um, you can train it for a short list of 200 or 300 people and then it will work accurately if you go beyond it will start uh, throwing false positives uh, so um, we combine these technologies um, we make sure that uh, if we analyze a piece of audiovisual material, out comes a coherent shot list on a single timeline that combines the visual stuff and the sound bites, uh, so that it becomes useful for uh, for you as a journalist. Uh, that's our role. Love it, man. Well, unfortunately, Martin, we're up on time. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Limecraft? And then we will wrap it up. Uh, the obvious place is obviously uh, www.limecraft.com um, uh, or uh, um, uh, please do consider following us on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. 
Uh, we will not spam you. Uh, we're sharing uh, tips and tricks, uh, updates. Uh, uh, our team is pretty active on uh, on social media as well. That's probably a convenient place to stay in contact. Excellent, man. Well, Martin, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Really excited about what you're doing, where you're heading, what you've done so far. And congrats on the really resiliency to uh, get to 4 million via be bootstrapped. So uh, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, great talking to you. Thanks, Ryan. All right, we, I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.